We're going to be over there in Philippians uh, chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3 is uh, where we left off last week. Uh, in Philippians uh, chapter 3, we um, stopped right at around uh, verse 18 or so, that parenthetical that is there. Um, but, uh, you know, again, we'll, we'll uh, kind of go back a little bit further. Um, you know, obviously in verse 15, he was talking about that mindset, again, the mindset of Christ and, and how we need to be thinking and, uh, um, again, pressing forward and forgetting the things that are behind, as we saw in the previous verses. And he, he talks about how um, we should follow. We talked a bit about uh, those that were followers um, uh, out there, um, uh, that they should be following the example of Christ. We, we kind of clearly saw that, uh, marking individuals uh, for the purpose of following, for the purpose of identifying uh, what patterns we have. And I, and I want to, you know, again, kind of pick up a little bit with that, uh, just kind of to, to, to mention that in verse uh, 17, he says, Brethren, be followers together of me and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. And this is, this is the concept. You know, here we are in this Christian life and uh, we've trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior. Um, we should be an example. We should set that example. I mean, it's very clear that uh, Paul told Timothy that uh, he was to be an example of the believers, uh, specifically as a young man. So when we see those things showing up, we see that what we are supposed to be doing is demonstrating Christ in our day-to-day life. You know, this world, uh, uh, you know, we talked just a little, just a moment ago, about fear and anxiety and talking about people, um, you know, with, uh, uh, that are wracked with worry and, and, and concern. And, and there are people that are just, I mean, the, the, their lives, you think that they've got everything together, but behind the scenes, uh, they're just, they're petrified. They're petrified. There's a lot of people right now that are getting very, 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 very worried. I mean, we've got all sorts of stuff going on um, that people are very concerned about. Um, people are concerned about, you know, all this Russian aggression. Um, and people are like, well, it's just kind of limited to the re- Ukraine. Well, no, it's not. Uh, the other day, Russia actually fired uh, several um, uh, surface-to-air missiles at Israeli fighter craft. Uh, of course, the Israeli fighter craft are so advanced that they just kind of sidestep and dodge the missiles. <laughs> they just, uh, you know, God's given them, a, a, if you will, a, a, a great blessing to have uh, uh, have the things of uh, technology to be able to do that. Um, but uh, they, that's uh, that's been a first, and uh, it's um, it's kind of violating some of the agreements that they've had. Uh, you know, obviously, Russia is is very concerned about what's going on over with um, uh, Sweden and Finland and uh, their joining of NATO. Uh, and uh, Russia has been kind of, if you will, trying to butter up Turkey, which, again, is not a very good thing at all. So when we look at all that, you know, a person's going to get worried. A person's going to be scared. And the world will demonstrate that. They'll be afraid of all those things. Well, we as Christians, we look at that and we go, well, you know, what's the worst thing that happens? We wake up and we're in heaven, right? And and, and we understand that, that we have that hope. 
And obviously, we don't want to do that. It's not necessarily the way that we want to go. We want to make sure we follow God's will. But it, but we have to understand that, you know, our life that is here is meant to be one that pleases Him and does His will. So we have to, to seek to do that. And we have to be an example. And, and, and here He is, and if you will, He's talking to really kind of two groups of people. He's talking to those that are going to be following and those that are going to be the examples, the examples that he talks about here. And it's an encouragement for the followers to make sure that they know who is setting the right uh, example. And, and it's also for those that are that to make sure that they continue in that. Our, our, our life should demonstrate Christ at every turn. Christ should be our first response. It should be whenever we have an issue, boom, that's exactly how we reply. Uh, whenever something comes up in our life, boom, the first thing we go to is scripture. Uh, whenever we experience difficulties, the first thing we do is we pray and we find counsel from God. I mean, these are all things that we should be doing. And this is what Paul's talking about that we as Christians should be doing. We should be marking those people that do that and looking at them. And if you will, receiving a bit of a mentorship and encouragement from them. But here in, in, in the next passage in verse 18, he says, for many walk, of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. So here he is talking about the mind of Christ, and now he's referring to this other mind. And that is the carnal mind. That is the one that is at enmity with God, as he talks about in the book of James. So what we find here is we find these individuals very particularly have a certain mindset, and it is very fleshly. It is very, if you will, self-centered. It is an ungodly mentality. It is anti-Christ. And here he is saying, look, these people exist, and they will try to get followers. They will try to get followers. Keep your place there. And if you will, go over to the book of uh, uh, First Corinthians. <clears throat> and... Um, okay, hold on a second here. <laughs> All right, I just lost my place. Why is that not there? I'm looking for the passage where it talks about, okay, sorry, let's get to 2 Corinthians. I'll get it down. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I had uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and I'm like, why is that not the right place? 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. <clears throat> and here he says, talking a little bit about these kind of individuals, he, he, he makes clear that in verse, uh, verse 12, he says, but what I do, that will I do, that I may cut off occasion from them which desire occasion, and that wherein they glory, they may be found even as we, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. This is the same people that he's talking about here, and they are enemies, but they look like they're allies. They look like their friends. They look like brothers and sisters in Christ. Specifically here, he even says they look like apostles. 
And there's a very clear qualification for apostles versus disciple in Scripture. And these individuals are, are ones that are claiming to be that. You've got to be careful. There are no apostles that are running around today, but back then there was. There was a bunch of people that had seen Christ, and that was one of the major uh, components of, of being an apostle. And they were running around saying that, and testifying of him uh, that they had seen him, but the, what they were preaching was something very different. And here he says in verse 14 uh, of 2 Corinthians 11, And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Now, again, you know, we we all get this kind of mentality of what we think the devil looks like, you know, that he's got some sort of cloven hoof and half goat thing and a red tail and horns and a pitchfork and lives in hell. Uh, No, that's not what he is. We see that he has very many different appearances, including a serpent, a dragon. Um, he is uh, he's referred to as a lion, but he is not the lion. But one thing that we clearly see here is he transforms himself into an angel of light. He looks the part. Now remember, he was an anointed cherub that covered. He was an anointed cherub that covered the throne of God. Uh, he was up there before, uh, you know, obviously, when iniquity was found in him, and that pride is what brought him low. And here he says that he has the ability to, 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 if you will, change his appearance. And in verse 15, he says, Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, and these are exactly who they are, they belong to uh, um, him, the, the, the devil, not not God, if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. And he makes it very clear that these individuals exist today. Uh, John, uh, over in 1 John, talks about the spirit of the Antichrist, and he says that spirit was existing today. Go over to 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, not 1 Corinthians, 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. And again, j- just so, uh, uh, um, uh, excuse me, uh, chapter 4. Uh, if you go over to 1 John chapter 4, you find that this is obviously written uh, several hundred years ago. This is, this is the Apostle John that was there at the foot of the cross, that was given the commission to take care of Mary, was the one that uh, uh, was referred to as the Beloved. And here he is, he's making a, a, a very serious statement in verse 1 of chapter 4. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits where they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. He says that's happening right then. We look at this and we could say, well, that's prophecy. That's going to happen, and that's kind of happening now. It's been happening for a long time. In verse 2, it says, Hereby ye know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. There's a lot of people that won't say that. They will not confess that Jesus Christ is God. They will not confess that what he did. They will not confess the gospel of Jesus Christ. And in verse 3, and he said, Every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. And here he is, he's warning them, we find in two uh, two very different books, uh, 2 Corinthians and 1 John, that, that these individuals are warning about things that are going to happen, about people that are going to be doing these things. 
Now there he's obviously talking about spirits, and those are ones that are motivating and moving men to do certain things. And over in the other passage, he's talking specifically about those that are, are, are seeking to damage, that they look the part, they play the part, they look like ministers of righteousness. But they're not. And Paul identifies exactly what their mindset is here. He, he identifies exactly what their mindset is. Now I want you to notice here, going back to Philippians chapter 3 in verse 18, he says, for many walk. Now look, <clears throat> this life is often referred to as a journey. And there is going to be multiple types of walk. Just because somebody has a movement does not mean that they are walking the same path. There may be people that seem like they're on the same path, but their destination may be very different than yours. Now, if you take a look in the previous verses, he says in verse 14, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. He says, that's my goal. This is where I'm going. I am going to a place, according to Revelation 4.11, that pleases my Savior. That I am doing his will, that I'm going to follow his commandments. That my that anything that I do is for the glory, honor, and praise of him, not for me. And what we find is that, that uh, Paul identifies these people and he says they have a same walk or a similar walk. They look like they're doing the same thing. But they're enemies of the cross. They hate God. I mean, a perfect example is the book of Galatians. Here you've got some Galatians, you know, these Gentiles, these Judaizers creep in and start, you know, if you will, wooing them with, you've got to keep the law. 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 Now, we as Christians, we look at that and we see a lot of good principles in the law. Like, I mean, obviously, we want to make sure we keep, thou shalt not kill. I mean, that's like a duh. Uh, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt, I mean, you know, bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. I mean, we've got all of those ones down, and, and we, even the, the ones that talk about making sure that, you know, that, that, uh, uh, that we shall know the gods before us, except that our Savior, and He's the only one, we, we abide by those things. But these guys were saying that in order to be saved, and in order to keep that salvation, they came alongside and they bewitched. They deceived, they seduced, they tricked, if you will. They performed a, a magic in front of them, if you, want, if you want to go that far, with their words. They sweet-talked them into believing something totally different. And, 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 and it was all about bringing them back under bondage so that those individuals would have control of the Gentiles. That was one of the biggest issues that the Pharisees had. The Pharisees wanted control. I mean, they made it very clear. When Jesus Christ's ministry was was occurring, they, they said, you know, of Jesus Christ, this is, he, this is not good that he's here, because if this continues, he, they said, we will lose our place, our position, and our country. They were more concerned about what what they had as far as who they were because they had dominance over everybody. They could walk down and look down on somebody and say, hey, you know, you, you, you're a horrible person. 
They could do things like that. We saw the Pharisee that was over there that said, uh, thank God I'm not like that sinner, the publican. But what we find in this passage is as he's talking about it, they have that walk. They're going to look the part. And this is what makes Paul so sad. He says, he says, for many walk of whom I have told you often. And, and this is something that you find very familiar with. If you go through and you read the passages, you read the Pauline epistles, you will see that Paul is constantly warning people about individuals like this and the influence that they will have in another person's life. What affects your heart? Because what affects your heart will control what you think. That becomes the important part. And he says, for many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. Even weeping. I I mean, this is something that that, that he knew was going to happen. Go over to the book of Acts. Go over to the book of Acts. And if you go over to the part where where, um, uh, Paul is having a conversation with the the Ephesians, as he was getting ready to leave them, and he was talking about how the uh, people were going to come and, uh, uh, if you will, try to uh, destroy the works that were going on over there, and um, turn over to Acts uh, chapter tw- uh, 20. <clears throat> Acts chapter 20, and in verse uh, 28, he says, Therefore take heed unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church which he hath purchased with his own blood. For this I know, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also of your own selves men shall arise, speaking perverse things, to draw the, away disciples after them. That's what they want. They want the followers. They want the followers. And he says, therefore, watch. Therefore, watch. This is, this is the concept that we as Christians, we have to begin to understand. He, he, he's warning the Philippians that they need to make sure they're doing this. At the same time, you see him continually warning all of these other churches. He's doing it often. But here with the Philippians, he's warning them because he knows they are coming. And that they are already there, and he's weeping because he is so, if you will, full of care for these people that he wants to make sure that they're doing what is right. This is why, one of the main reasons why he was actually writing the letter, because he's getting in here and he's saying, look, these guys, they're going to be there. I need to make sure that these individuals know what the mind of Christ is versus what the carnal mind thinks about. He identifies it here in this little parenthetical. Go back over there to Philippians 3. And he says, <coughs> says, Now I tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They're enemies. Uh, and look, an enemy sometimes may seem to walk parallel with you, but I guarantee you that their walk does not demonstrate Christ. There's a big, there's a big difference. Our walk should always demonstrate Christ. Just like faith. When we have faith and we are ex- expressing faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We're talking about hearing God's word, letting it have the impact, letting it have the, 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 uh, um, 
effect in our life that we would do his will, that we would be obedient in that. That's a Christian walk. And what you will find is, is somebody that is not walking according to Christ won't be obedient. They won't care about the will of God. They won't care about what the end result is. And you will find them that they're often lifted up with pride, that they're often a person that is more concerned about themselves, and that they are more concerned very specifically about fleshly things, earthly things, earthly things. Now, as, as, as we go through here, there's a couple of passages uh, that I want us to go to. Um, let's see here. Go over to the book of Deuteronomy. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 29. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 29. <clears throat> he, he, he starts talking about, um, you know, how they're supposed to behave themselves. And uh, here he is, he goes through and he begins to talk about in, in verse 16, for ye know how we have, ha- have dwelt in the land of Egypt and how we came through the nations which ye passed by, and ye have seen their abominations and their idols and wood and stone, silver and gold, which were among them. He says, this is what you've seen. Now look, it, it, if there isn't a more apropos uh, a, a verse for today in this world, I don't know what it is. I mean, have we not seen their abominations? Have we not seen their idols, their wood and stone, their silver, their gold, you know, if their riches? And, and, and we've seen this. And in verse 18, he says, lest there should be uh, among you a man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turneth away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations, lest there should be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. And it come to pass when he heareth the words of this curse that he bless himself in his heart, saying, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of my heart, to add drunkenness to thirst, the Lord God will not spare him. But then the anger of the Lord and his jealousy shall smoke smoke against that man, and all the curses that are written in this book shall lie upon him, and the Lord shall blot out his name from under heaven. That does not sound like a good thing. (laughs) You you, you read that, but, but I want you to see verse 19 is the key to this passage. Look at what this individual says. Look at how they respond. It shall come to pass when you hear the words of this curse... What does he do? Disregards it. It has no effect on him. You know what happens when that occurs? This person is no longer being convicted by the word of God. You know, conviction is a very important part of our Christian life. People don't like conviction, okay? Because it makes us uncomfortable. It makes us squirm. It makes us move in our seat. It makes us kind of like, I don't want to talk about this because of the thought processes. But you realize that when the Holy Spirit is the one that is like with Paul, was sitting there pricking against, you know, uh, that Paul was pricking against those, uh, uh, um, was kicking against those pricks. There we go. Uh, the, the Holy Spirit was sending. He was in complete rebellion. That's what this individual is. 
He refuses to be convicted. Now, I, I, now, again, if I was to ask everyone here and, and ask if you want to go through what he describes in verse 20, that you're not spared, that the anger of the Lord and his jealousy smoke against you, that the curses written in the Bible are going to be again on you and your name blotted out. I don't think anybody here would have enough gall to say, I don't care. Oh, I hope they wouldn't. If not, you need to see me after service. we got something to talk about. It's called salvation. <laughs> but you, you, you see what's happening here. This person, what does he say? He says he blesses himself in his heart. That is one of the most bizarre things I think I've ever seen in my entire life. How do you bless yourself? I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. Well, you know what it is? It's a person that's lifted up with pride. They're puffing themselves up. They're lifting up their own name. They're lifting up their own position. They're, they're lifting up their flesh. They're, they're, they're the ones that are like, I'm so good. Look at me. What does he say here? In his heart, this person says, I shall have peace, though I walk in the imagination of mine heart. What is his God? Himself. He is his own idol. And this is very interesting, that parenthetical that we saw up there in verses 16 and 17 of this chapter. He talks about, you've seen all of these things. You've seen that wood, the stone, all that. And he's pointing out exactly where that idolatry begins. The imagination of our own heart. A person thinking of themselves more highly than they ought to think. And Paul warns of that over and over and over again. And here this individual is again in direct rebellion. Now go back over there to, to Philippians chapter 3, and we see that, that, that we find a very similar verse in verse 19 of chapter 3, and he says, whose end is destruction. So he, he begins to start off with, you know, this idea and this concept of, okay, we know that these people are out there, they're walking, it, 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 it's a very sad and sorrowful thing to know that they're out there, that they're among us, that they're, that they're walking among us, we've got to deal with it a certain way. And he points out that their end is destruction. Just like God pointed out to the nation of Israel, you do that, your end is destruction according to verse 20. And here he is, he's saying, this is the same situation. This is why we have to know and be able to mark individuals. Now, again, somebody's going to say, well, we shouldn't be judging. Well, no, what we do is we look at a person and we say, okay, is that person following Christ? If that person isn't following Christ, then that's not a person that I should necessarily buddy up to or I should take as an example to live in my life. What I need to do is I need to find somebody that is Christ-like. And first and foremost, I have to know what Christ-like even means, which is why in chapter 2, he identifies that mindset. In that mindset, again, no reputation, form of a servant, humble and obedient. Now take a look at this guy. This is the guy whose end is going to, is destruction. Look at this mindset that he has here. This is the prophecy 
that he has that these individuals that walk this way. He says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly. They're more concerned about physical things. So when he's talking in this in, in this uh, vernacular, he's talking about a very carnal mentality. Yeah, I mean, you go over, uh, keep your place there and go over a couple of pages to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter five, and we find what that kind of carnal mentality, the fleshly mentality, is like. And in, in Galatians chapter 5 and in verse 15, or excuse me, verse uh, uh, 16, he says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Now that seems very simple when we say it like that. But there's an application to go about doing it. And here he is, he identifies these issues about what the flesh does. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary one to another, so you cannot do the things that you would. The main reason that people still struggle with sin in their life is because they are not fulfilling this verse. They are not walking in the spirit. Like, well, I'm trying. Well, you know, again, this is a matter of uh, of do or do not. (laughs) It's... This isn't about, you gotta be in the right frame of mind. You gotta have to make sure that your heart is where it needs to be. Because if the continual struggle with sin is there, then it means you've got a conflict as we were talking about during Sunday school. There is a war that is within. And that war that is within is going to what determines when those things that are without, such as temptations and trials, hit you how you deal with them. So here he is, he says, there, you know, you can't do the things that you would. He says, but in verse 18, but if you be led of the spirit, um, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest. And he says, he's going to, he's going to point these out. And he says, these are very demonstrable. These are things that we see in this life. And he isn't saying these are things that necessarily we need to make sure that we're looking for in other people, which again, you know, we need to make sure that we're, we're, we're keeping an eye on that. But here's what he's asking for us to do to take a look in our own lives. Do any of these things match what we are doing? Because remember, he's talking about individuals that are followers and those that are in samples that they're supposed to kind of look at and, if you will, come alongside. As we go towards Christ together, we press towards him. And he says, here they are. He said, which are these? Adultery. Adultery. God makes it clear what adultery is. He says, if you even look on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. I mean, that, that for the United States of America and for most of the, the world that has the Internet today and things of that nature, guess what? There's a lot of adultery going on. A lot. What does he say? Fornication. These are things that, you know, again, not a lot of people want to talk about stuff like that, but that's a big thing today. That's a big thing. Everybody's like, oh, man, the divorce rates are going down. Yeah, that's because nobody's getting married. Nobody's getting married. You know what they're doing? They're just living together. That's not glorifying God. We have to make sure that what we're doing is glorifying to him. Our walk should be a very clear example to others that, hey, I want to do things the right way. And he says, 
uncleanness. Now, we know, we just look around in this world, and man, there's all sorts of filth that's out there. Now, look, I'm not talking about, you know, you go out and you, you have a good day at work, and you're working in the field, or you're, you know, working on, uh, you know, a truck engine or something like that, David. Uh, <laughs> and he's out there, and he's getting his hands dirty. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about that. We're talking about uncleanness on the inside that comes out. That what comes out is just filth. It's just filth. Uh, again, it, it, you just walk around through the Safeway and you hear the filth. You just walk around in the Walmart and you hear it. It's all over the place. You got a cell phone? I guarantee you, you've probably been, you know, inundated with it. But here he is. He, he, he makes sure that these are things that he's saying. This is stuff that should not be there. Now, again, when we're talking about what godliness is, we're talking about things that are perfect, that are pure, that are holy, that are upright, that are righteousness, that are, are, are goodly, that are pleasing. All of these things, and, and, and uncleanness, if you will, is a very broad category that includes many things. Many things. Lasciviousness. You know, when people have this inordinate affection and they have this inordinate lust that they can't control, we see them getting into these behaviors where it just becomes insatiable. Oh, we were actually talking about an incident uh, that happened locally with uh, with a fast food manager, and we were just, uh, you know, obviously it's a disgusting thing that this person was doing. I mean, it is vile. Not only was it physically unclean, but it was, I mean, it was morally unclean. It was spiritually unclean. And this person was doing it as, a, if you will, in such a way that he just, that's where his pleasure lied. And it was disgusting. It's disgusting. Idolatry. We look at that today and people are sitting there saying, well, you know, idolatry isn't a big thing. Look, I, I, I get it. You know, we generally, for the most part, don't see a lot of idols roaming around. You know, obviously, if you, you see some things from Asian cultures and from other cultures and African cultures, you'll see things of idols that will exist in, in, in the United States. But look, let's just face it. This idol, he's not necessarily talking about the idols that we put out there that are wood and stone. We're talking about the idols that are in our heart that are set up by our own imaginations, as we were talking about over there in Deuteronomy chapter 29, where it's erected. And guess what? We are the ones that are the, usually the God. We're the idol. And, and, and God points that out. He says, you, you ever notice that? And these guys go out there and they go out to, you know, over there in uh, Jeremiah chapter 10. He talks about the woodsman that goes out there and chops down the tree. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about idolatry. They go out there, they chop down that tree. They get all the stuff off of it. The woodman works on it and carves it, gets it all set and ready and, and and then they coat it with something that make it look nice, like gold or silver or whatever it may be, so it looks pretty instead of just a hunk of wood that actually shines. It looks glorious. And then they bow down and worship it. But they made it with their own hands. You know how ridiculous that is? 
I mean, you, you know, you, you go home, make it a little something out of clay, you put it down there and go, that's my God. You made that. I mean, again, it's like the nation of Israel over there. You know, oh, I don't know what happened. You know, here's Aaron. It's like, I put the gold in and boom, oh, out comes this calf. What a lame excuse, man. <clears throat> When's the last time you threw something in the fire and out pops something that just, you know, looks like a cat? No, you throw something in the fire, it burns and melts. You know what he was trying to do with that? He was trying to, if you will, number one, put the blame on someone else, but at the same time, also kind of putting the blame, if you will, on a, an inanimate object that it was of its own creation. No, he formed it. He formed it. He brings that thing out, and guess what? He goes, behold, your God's which brought you out of the land of Egypt. And what is it? It's, 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 just, a, it's just a golden calf. I mean, what is it? It's a bunch of earrings melted down. And in, in the time that it took for them to do it, I, you know what? I'm just, look, I've watched some of those forged in fires where they're making those cool knives and stuff like that. And you watch how quickly they have to make them in like three minutes and they're, you know, and it comes out and it's like, oh, it kind of, well, sort of looks like a knife. <laughs> it's got a form of something. You know, you go to the, look at those craft shows and they're like, oh, okay, I gotta get something, you know, made really quick and, or, or a cake thing or whatever it is. And they try to make it under pressure and do it real fast. And it comes out and you're just like, yeah, really? You created that in that amount of time? And some things look great and some things not so much. I don't think it was beautiful to look at. I think it was just kind of this crude thing. And all of a sudden, that is what delivered Israel. But look, let's put it this way. That's the same thing we do in our heart. We, what do we do? We, 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 we go about this, this, this mindset saying, we are our own God. We, we create our own, uh, if you will, fortune, our own future. We can't do that. I mean, look, we, we can try to plan for the future all we want. But you know what? In an instant, everything changes. One instant, you're totally fine. The next instant, you're not. And when we think about that, we realize we're not in control. And it's idolatry to think that we are. We set ourselves up as God. That's a fleshly thing. Now, I'm saying all of that and getting specific on this one because you're going to see that's exactly what these individuals are doing over there in Philippians 3. You continue to go on here and he talks about witchcraft. We know that that's bad. Hatred, you know, again, the the unfounded uh, um, hatred towards another person. The variance. You know, again, that, that, that back and forth mentality, the peer, person that, that is so inconsistent, you can't even stand it. You know, the person that is emulating the, the emulations, meaning that they're just fake. Wrath, strife, seditions. He talks about heresy. Under no circumstance, Romans 13 covers what we do with authorities. Hebrews covers what we do with authorities. There's, you know, first Peter covers what we do with authorities. To have a seditious nature is ungodly. Heresies, that's self-explanatory. Envyings, again, self-explanatory. Murders, well, that's kind of, you know, well. Drunkenness, well, okay. Revelings, you know, just the constant carrying on partying. And of such like, in case you missed one. (laughs) 
And he says very clearly that those individuals that do those things, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because that's their God. The God is their flesh. And it's contrary to it. So we go back over there to, to, to Philippians 3. And what do we see here? He says, whose end is their destruction, whose God is their belly. They're fleshly oriented. They have set up themselves. Now, where is our belly? You know, we look at it and we go, well, my belly's here. And some people, you know, me, got to work a little bit more on our belly area. You know, we, 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 we realize maybe it's a little bit bigger than we need it to be. <laughs> but you understand these individuals, when he's referring to that, he's talking about that inward part. He's talking about that very center of them, that, that, that desire that they have is just fleshly oriented. It becomes primal. It becomes, if you will, this this instinctive nature to feed themselves. Have you ever gotten so hungry that you're just like, I mean, you're ravenous. You sit down at a table and it's like all manners go out the window. You've got your food in your face in the plate and you're just, I mean, there's food flying everywhere. You're just shoving it in. Hopefully you haven't gotten to that so far. <laughs> We look at something like that, and you know what we instantly think? That's gluttony. And that's generally what we see. This sin that he's talking about, this is gluttony. And gluttony is taking more than is necessary, more than what you should be thankful or content with, and taking it, and hindering someone else. Gluttony is a very dangerous sin. Gluttony kind of goes along the lines of hoarding. They just can't help themselves. And they just take more and more and more and more. You know, we think of gluttony as somebody that just overeats. It's more than that. Gluttony is a very spiritual, wicked sin. It is a mindset that exists in a person that they just want to consume everything in their path. They're voracious. They can't control themselves. They have a form of, if you will, incontinency. They just, I mean, they just uncontrolled. And here he is talking about that. And he's saying, this is their God. This is what they're doing. And he says very clearly, he identifies what they worship, which is themselves, their own belly. And it says, whose glory is in their shame. You know what? That is such a a hard thing to even begin to comprehend, to even think about. You know what? Somebody that would enjoy shame. You know what that kind of person is? That's a person that can't be corrected. That's kind of a person that sits there and, and, and they, they don't mind the fact that they've done sin. They're actually proud of it. They're proud that they get caught. They're proud that they've committed this, you know, heinous act. And they just sit there in a courtroom all smug, lifted up with themselves. And we look at somebody like that, you know, a criminal of that nature and we'd be like, man, and just, and it gets your blood boiling. 
But when somebody is actually glorying in the sin that they're doing and they're continuing to do it, and even though it is a shameful act that they're just willing to say, I don't care anymore, I'm only here to feed my belly, I'm only here to feed myself, I am my own God, no one can tell me what to do, no one's going to correct me, no one's going to go through a, a process of, of, of trying to uh, uh, you know, make a change in my, none of that, this individual glories in that kind of stuff. And we, we, we look at individuals in Scripture that were like that. They just kept doing more and more and more sins. Go over and read the book of Judges. Go over and read you know, what it looked like towards the end when there was bondage that was brought into the land. They didn't care. They didn't care. A perfect example is, is, you know, the, the, the one time that the city was besieged, uh, over there, um, over in Second Kings and the, the city's besieged and, uh, the king's walking along, uh, uh, the way and, and, you know, he, he, there's this fight breaking up between these two women and they're talking about cannibalism. And, and, and they're actually looking for justice and judgment in their sin. They, 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 this one woman says, oh, okay, well, I'll tell you what, we'll, t- today we'll eat my son, tomorrow we'll eat your son. Gross. Now, how abhorrent is that? But the fact that they were looking to the king for some sort of justice and judgment and discernment is disgusting. But that's what it had become. And I look at our world today, and we've got a whole group of people fighting for, if you will, the same thing. And we look at this and we go, well, nobody would be that way. But remember, it is so subtle. You know, I talk about things that are very blatant that immediately disgust us, but these things, they just creep in. These things creep in, and as they're going along this walk... And he makes it very clear here in verse 19, it says, who mind earthly things. They're carnal. I mean, this is why he, he was so, you know, if you will, in the face of the Corinthian church, he said, you're carnal. You're carnal because you're so concerned about who you're allied with, whether it's Peter, whether it's Paul, whether it's uh, Apollos, whether it's Christ. I mean, you're, you're going through making all these divisions. Everybody's got a doctrine. Everybody's got a verse. Everyone's got a psalm. Everybody's, you know, got their own thing. They can't even come together for uh, the Lord's Supper in the same way to come together unified. Everybody's at each other's throats. Everybody hates each other. Everybody is, you know, uh, loving and caring about, you know, sin that comes in they're not willing to deal with it i mean all it just was a complete disaster and why was that because they minded earthly things their mindset was so focused on this world well look we have things in this world that are a tremendous blessing and we should be very thankful for But what we receive should not affect our hearts in such a way that it pulls us away from God that we think that we deserve it or that it is ours to take or that uh, God is being unfair to us or anything of that nature. We start getting into that role or that mindset. That is not the mind of Christ. 
That, that is not humble. That is against humility. That is, that is, that is disobedience, uh, to a high degree. There is no desire to be a servant and there certainly is more concern about the reputation because their God is their belly. Their glory is their shame. They're concerned about that. Their own glory, not the glory of God. You know, all, everything we do should not be for our glory. It shouldn't be for our glory. It's for God. It's for His glory. You know, you, if you ever do something and somebody comes up to you and gives you that attaboy, be careful. Be very careful. I understand what they're trying to do, but again, remember, we need to transform ourselves from a worldly, carnal mindset, according to Romans chapter 12, not think according to the world. Somebody comes up and, and, and says, man, you did a great job on this. Just look at the person and go, praise God. What do you mean, praise God? Well, he's the one that gave me the ability to do it. Because if not, I'd be a, well, a ball of Play-Doh. <laughs> Seriously. <clears throat> that's all, that's kind of the mindset. I'd be Gumby. I just, for those of us that know who Gumby is. <laughs> Dating ourselves on that one there. <clears throat> Some of you are probably like, who's Gumby? I'll go look it up. <laughs> but, but you know, there, therein is the issue. Is people are so concerned about receiving the praise. Now look, when you praise somebody, you should praise them and say, man, that was, that was, that was great. That was fantastic. That's an amazing thing. Praise God that that was, that, that, that you were able to, you know, that God gave you the ability to do that. And the person should reply with you, absolutely praise God. This is all from Him. That's the way the conversation should be. You're like, well, that's just weird. That's not normal. Right. Exactly. It's not normal. <laughs> the, it, 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 it is odd. Why? Because the world is so far away from God that they want to sit there and, if you will, pride lift themselves and take the glory away from God, which is, a, which is an abhorrent thing. Because you go into this next verse here, and, and I know we're getting close to time here, but as we go into verse 20, he says, for our conversation is in heaven from whence we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto this glorious, his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Now there's a lot that's packed right into these two verses. I'm not going to even get a chance to get through all of it, but I want us to see very clearly in verse 20, he's talking about a conversation that is otherworldly. It's a conversation that is super natural. Let me give you an example. <clears throat> this book is supernatural. Now, does that mean that it's going to levitate on its own? No. Does that mean that if I open it up to a certain page that all of a sudden, you know, it's going to have some sort of like magical spell or something like that? No, absolutely not. No, it's beyond that because it's spiritual. But it is, again, it defies the things of nature. Well, how is that? Why is it that people struggle to make real change in their life, but yet when this book is applied to it, they can make a change for the rest of their life? 
Why is it that this book is so hated by people that they don't want it around? They don't want it in schools. They don't want it in government. They don't want it in families. And there are places where they don't even want it in churches. Why? Because this book is not normal. There's a lot of things in here that you read and you go, well, that's just weird. <laughs> really? I mean, the other day we read about, you know, uh, uh, Samson's parents and then all of a sudden, you know, here they are, they offer up this, you know, this uh, sacrifice, and, you know, this goat, and, and then pfft, the angel of the Lord disappears up with the smoke. That's not normal. A burning bush that is not consumed. That's not normal. To, to get swallowed by a whale and then vomit it up. That's not normal. That doesn't happen frequently. Well, people, oh, it happens. Uh, it's not normal. <laughs> you know, these things are not normal. Why? Because it's God that's involved. Now, look, looking for something like that supernatural miracle to happen. Look, I will tell you this. It has already happened. If you are trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior, there is the greatest miracle that has ever happened to you entire life. Don't go around looking for something else. Be content with that. And then let God change you. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and convict you and comfort you and teach you. And then you will see how this book will affect you. And he says very clearly, he says, our conversation is in heaven. Our conversation is in heaven. Now, this is, this is a thing that when you look at that on face value, you're like, oh man, that's, that's like a, that's like a heavenly thing. I mean, we're supposed to be representing that, but there's a lot more to it. You know what a conversation is? It's, it's the, it's the, the, the coordination of thought, word, and actions. When I engage somebody in a conversation, if I was to come down and start talking to Gabriel over here, and we're having a conversation, he's going to look at me, I'm going to look at him, he's going to make facial features, I'll make facial features, we'll gesture, so on and so forth. You talk to Bob, who's Italian, uh, he'll be waving his arms around like crazy. <laughs> Somewhat, maybe not so much anymore. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying is, is, is we have that, you know, kind of that interaction. But our conversation is more than just the conversation and speak, it's also the walk. It's also how we behave. It's also what the world sees. It's what the world hears that comes from our mouth. And I want you to understand, he just said, your conversation is in heaven. Now, this should change you a little bit about the way that you operate here on earth. Why is that? Because everything that you do, God sees in heaven. Your conversation... Everything that you were just thinking, everything that you were just doing, everything that you were just saying was live streamed <laughs> on the big screen to God. Now, let me ask you, would that change your mind if you started realizing that and started to think that way? Now, remember who God is. God sees it all. So let's be honest with ourselves. If we want a heavenly conversation, it has to be spiritually oriented. To be spiritually oriented, it has to be of the right mindset, the mind of Christ. 
if we're focused on the world, that's only going to translate to what God sees in our life in heaven. Now, obviously, we're in him and he's in us, and there's a real tight connection that's there. He'll never leave us nor forsake us, and nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. I get all of that, and I will tell you this. That means that God knows everything. Now, again, somebody's going to say, well, praise God, you know, you know, it's, it's all covered under the blood. It's, you know, I, I don't have to worry about my sins, past, present, and future. Yeah, you do. Because it can still grieve him. Ephesians chapter four. He's talking to believers. And if we grieve, if we can grieve God, I mean, we've all grown up. We've all had parents. You ever have one of, you know, one of those days where you're doing something and you do something so stupid and your parents just look at you and they just go, why? And you're just going, I don't know. Why is that always the answer? I don't know. (laughs) How how many times do we do that on a day-to-day basis? Where God goes, man, I really wish you hadn't done that. There's going to be consequences. We're going to reap what we sow. We got to remember, if our conversation is in heaven, yeah, we got to understand that we're still in a vile body. It will be changed one day. We're going to get to that point. But our conversation is in heaven. We've got to make sure that what we're doing is we're following the right pattern. And that is the one of Christ. And we'll get into this a little bit more next week as we go through this and kind of look at the conversation, what it's more about, how it works. There's a lot of verses about this. There's a lot of verses. And, and we'll take a look at this, Lord willing, next week. But for right now, let's go ahead and be dismissed with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, Again, we just thank you for this time. Thank you again for all that you've done for us. We thank you very much, Lord, for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would continue to work in our hearts, that we would desire to please you, that understanding our conversation in heaven, Lord, about how you see what we do and what is translated down here on earth and the way we're supposed to behave and act, that, Lord, that we would seek to walk, talk, think, be affected, and desire your will, the way Christ did. And Lord, again, I just thank you for those that are here. And Lord, we again continue to lift up in prayer the Emersons tonight uh, during this difficult time. Pray, Lord, that you would just continue to give them peace and comfort. That, Lord, that they would just uh, just know you're near. Understand uh, that uh, they have that hope that is in you. And Lord, again, I just pray for healing for Michael during this time. And again, I thank you for all that you've done for us already. And these things I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.